rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Hello, friends. Welcome to a special episode of Rumors of Grace. I'm recording this from my home. I'm not in the studio, obviously. Everybody is in a bit of a lockdown, social isolation, and the world as we know it has been turned a bit upside down. The market continues to shrink. Uh, More coronavirus cases are popping up like uh, heads on a hydra. Uh, School and business closures, they're accelerating, and social distancing remains more and more strict. But as the old saying goes, this too shall pass. Uh, Nothing lasts forever. Uh, neither the painful times nor the good times. And so right now we are in a painful time. Uh, What can we learn from leaning into this? That's what I'm trying to do personally. It's not always easy. I know a lot of you feel alone and isolated. You're not. So for starters, I think uh, I should be abundantly clear that We're an intimately connected global human family, and that goes far deeper than I think we've ever imagined. Uh, What may have started uh, in a bat or in what they call a wet market uh, in a foreign country, it's now impacting every family gathering. Uh, Italy is being hit hard. The NBA, all sports have been closed down. and what one person does uh, affects others. We're all connected. Um, we don't live uh, in the insular worlds that we often strive to create for ourselves. Uh, another thing that I've noticed is that uh, I did read a quote the other day from a man named Herschel York. I do not fear catching the coronavirus one bit. I'll survive or not, but I fear spreading it. I do not want my sense of bravado or vincibility to hurt anyone else. That's the epitome of arrogance and selfishness. So I hope you all are are thinking of others out there. It can be tempting to only think of yourself and your own, but uh, we have seen a lot of hoarding of toilet paper, which I still don't understand, and other things. But I'm hoping that exposure of these actions will spur greater selflessness and more concern for our fellow man as we move forward. Um, I think ultimately this whole experience will make us better humans. In the end, I am very hopeful. And I've read many stories of generosity and kindness and things that are going on all over the world. Uh, It's interesting how the divine, the universe, God, uh, whatever you want to call it, sometimes forcefully realigns our priorities uh, on what's really important. Uh, The elderly, uh, our neighbors, our health, our environment, uh, lots of things will be affected positively for this. So um, I hope that you are loving each other well, that you're staying connected with each other, uh, and see this as a transformational time. And with that thought in mind, I thought that I would share with you uh, a conversation that I had with my daughter, who is in New York City right now. It's hard to be away from her. My son is in Los Angeles. But my call with her, uh, we also broadcast on another podcast that I do with her called XYZ. So I'm going to go ahead and play that for the rest of today's podcast, and I hope you enjoy it and getting a perspective on Rumors of Grace from a 20, almost 21-year-old. Thanks. you been in New York City and are you surviving this uh, pandemic? It has been a while. I'm doing good. I, I think, I mean, you know, I'm kind of been taking it day by day. It's definitely very, very strange existence here in New York City right now with this pandemic going on. You've been, I, you've been holed up in, uh, in an apartment there. I know you've been at school. Do you want to give listeners... Some of those things? 
Yeah, kind of give just give a, a quick rundown. We don't want to talk about too much other than we want to dive into all the the COVID-19 deep thoughts, what everyone's going through, the evolution of humanity, all the things that we want to talk about on this. But but before we do, why don't you just give an update the last year and a half since we've done a podcast? I know it's been so long. We need a now that we're kind of we have all the time in the world on our hands, we should do more. But I have been in school at an acting school. It's been incredible. I feel like I've learned so much, so much about myself, so much about my craft. Now we are juggling into online idea of trying to do an online school and doing a play online, which I I don't really agree with. I feel like it's kind of a disrespect to theater and art itself to try to do a connection over the screen, but the school is doing the best they can in order to keep our, you know, education sure. going with this virus. And so we can all graduate. I am living in New York. I love it. Right now, I'm currently holed up at, in Brooklyn at my boyfriend's place. Me, him, and his, and our roommate, Lucas, are just, you know, getting to like getting through it together. How has it been? Nice. How's it been the past week and a half? I know, you know, we're recording this on or around, you know, the 22nd of March. What What's life been like? I know that they've, you guys are on a quote lockdown there. What does New York City look like these days? Well, I, I went into the city, well, at the beginning of the week, we, I was, I was staying still in Manhattan for the most part. And it just slowly, the streets were getting quieter and quieter, but it wasn't, it hadn't really kicked in. New Yorkers are still going to bars, restaurants. Like New Yorkers, I think, have even more so than other parts of the country. America as a whole, I think, has this idea of like, we are free. We can do whatever we want. I'm not going to listen to the system. Like, I'll do what I want. And in New York, especially, people are like, I live my life. No one tells me what to do, which is, I think, it's, it's a very dangerous idea. So there are still people around. But as as this week has gone on and things every single day have been less and less in restaurants shut down. I think people are starting to, and the cases have gone up. People are starting to understand how serious this is. Um, even in, I've seen pictures of the city and it's just streets are empty. Um, in the city, I, I saw videos of friends in Times Square today because they had to go get something and they didn't want to take the subway. So they walked and the entire like Times Square in the middle of the day was empty except for a couple of people. Here in Brooklyn, people are out walking their dogs, but it's just strange. I've been trying to stay inside unless I have to go outside for a walk. And if I do, I go to the park where I don't have to be near people or I go on the roof or I go to the grocery store. And even in the grocery store, it's just strange, like walking through to buy something and you pass someone and they they turn your back to you. So you don't have to walk front to front or even side to side so that you don't have any sort of contact. And it's just really strange to this city that once felt like a sense of community uh, with everyone because it was such a hard city to live in. There's just like that broken connection between people. So thankfully I've been here with Jake and Lucas and we have a sense of community together where Mm -hmm. like every night we've just kind of been able to entertain ourselves and I'm not stuck somewhere alone. um, Just watching Netflix. I have people to talk to and things to do. Do you feel like I do that there's this surrealness about all of this? Like you're (laughs) like, I kind of pinch myself. I turn on the news and I try not to watch a ton of it because it's pretty depressing. But, you know, part of me is I can go out, I can go drive to the store, I can go pick up something, I can smile at people, I can call my friends, I can go online. But then there's this other side of me that's like, is this a dream? What the heck is going on in our world? There's like this world pandemic that there's an impending sense of doom that our, that the economy is going to crash. And I don't know, how, how are you dealing with that kind of dual existence? I, I, I'm someone, I, I completely agree with you. I'm someone that 
has a lot of anxiety and I've been trying to control that. And I just, even tonight I was, I was getting very, very stir crazy and anxious and feeling trapped. And I know you feel that way a lot. Like mm-hmm. I think a sevens on the Enneagram, our biggest, like we're, we're afraid of being trapped. And right. so it's like my worst fear is coming true. And I'm living inside a sci-fi movie <laughs> and, um, just, I, I feel myself dissociating from, this sense of a dream, I feel like it's a dissociation from reality. So I keep having to remind myself to come back and like, this is the real world we're living in right now. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know if it's going to end and what the world's going to look like. And is this something for a month? Is this something for six months? Is this something for the next two years of our lives or the rest of our lives where we're constantly trying to find a cure for something in order to end it? but we don't have an end in sight. So it's, I think it would be different if we knew a date when it was going to end and therefore have a sense of, okay, I can just make it to this date. But but since we don't have an end time and it's just this uncertainty constantly, it makes your world feel very small and tight. And like all the opportunities that you could have had or done are diminished. Yeah, it it's inter- it's an interesting time for sure. You know, one of the things that, you know, maybe we could talk about tonight. I know I know you and I have gone back and forth and have talked quite a bit. I'm back in Nashville tonight. I just got back. We were in Florida for about a week trying to spend some time there. Your grandmother who's 94, we just got her out of uh, rehab/hospital. And so it's interesting to see her perspective of kind of being disconnected from the world as she's been in rehab from a fall for a couple of months now, just learning about so much of this. And it's interesting from her perspective, your Nana, Lauren, <laughs> to, to kind of be like, you know, she's born in 1926. She's almost 94. So she's grew up during the Depression. She's been through World War II. Obviously, she's seen a lot it's interesting to see her perspective on this of, yes, it's serious, but, oh, here we go again, you know? she's She survived. She believes that we will survive, and she has an amazingly positive outlook on it. So, so we're all kind of all over the place. Your brother's in L.A., but one of the things I've I, hits me so hard, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is I keep getting smacked in the face of how you know, how abundantly clear this is making us realize that as individuals, as nations, that we're not alone, that we're intimately connected much, much deeper than we ever dreamed or even think about on a daily basis. This whole mm-hmm. virus that we don't have control over for the most part really is irrespective of like whether you're American, whether you're Italian, whether you're Chinese. We're all one human family that's that we're all intimately connected in the sense of, you know, in a good way, but also in a way of like, you can spread this from human to human and it doesn't matter where you are in the world. And yeah. uh, I think that reality of connectedness of one, excuse me, of oneness is really being, being hit home to me uh, day, you know, day by day. That, you know, as much as we try to separate ourselves, as much as we try to, you know, whether we love being Americans, whether we love being Brits, whether we love being Asians, whatever, wherever we may live in the world, we're really intimately connected much, much deeper, I think, than we than we even can fully understand. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I think I think people don't we as humans take for granted how much human contact impacts us Mm. and so much. I think this is something you learn in acting, especially like a Meisner based training that everything is off reaction and action of a human being in like their physical body. You can, you can learn so much and you want things from a person and you lose that when you, I agree that there's, there's so much digitally and it's amazing the way we connect and we can still talk to people and see people And it's incredible that we live in this age where we're not totally isolated. We can use technology, but I feel so bad for the people that aren't with other people every day, because I think we, we don't, we take for granted 
how important that human to human connection is in person and the energy that that gives off. I think it feeds so much of our like humanity and our thoughts and our emotions. Um, and I think being isolated from people is going to have a devastating effect on human race. And like, I think it will have a devastating effect on people's mental health. And I, obviously people are dying. So it's, it's very, very important that we stay away. And that is the most important thing. Like, keeping lives. But I think something that people aren't, that take for, we take for granted in society in general, even if this wasn't going on is mental health. And it's trying to figure out how do you save lives by lowering that, you know, the peak and the amount of contact we have with people while still trying to exist as a human being and getting all your needs met. And I think a big part of that is human contact. And it's just, it's very strange having to figure out how to uh, feed that without actually being with other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. And I think, I think too, you know, we've seen this past couple of weeks, I think the best of humanity and the worst of humanity. Yeah. Um, I think all of us are trying to figure out, and I think we've all come to the point, okay, this is real and this is serious, but I know for me, when this first came out in you know late January, February, I'm like, oh come on, this is not that big of a deal. It's gonna blow over, and we've survived this. You know, it's not. You know, we've heard it all. The bird flu and SARS and on and on it goes. But I think people are finally taking it seriously. But I think what we wrestle with is you know kind of connected to that. We're all connected very deeply. You know, whether it's spiritually or emotionally or on a cellular or an atomic level, this whole idea of fear and, you know, the toilet paper thing, I think, is a good practical example. <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody, no. somebody somewhere said, you better get, you better hoard toilet paper. I don't, I still to this day have not understood the reasoning or why, but... You know, well, you know, if to, you don't have toilet paper, what are you going to do, Dad? Well, I understand that. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you can still get no, water. I agree with you. Can I agree still with get you. Other things, but but you go to the grocery store or the drugstore, and there's no toilet paper. And it's, so, it's a, someone it's a crowd mindset. You know what I mean? Right. 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 What? What? Like, how do you? My uh, Lucas, our other roommate, he works actually at a grocery store. And I was asking him some questions and being like, what is it like? And he, he, he said, he said, he's, I've asked him about, you know, the coronavirus and how he feels. And he says, he thinks it's scary, but he's not taking it. He thinks as seriously as other people, obviously he's staying away and isolating, but he isn't this fear that I have. I don't think he has in the same way. Um, but he says it's odd working at a grocery store that people are constantly taking more than they need. Um, and no one knows why, because grocery stores are going to be the thing that stay open. If anything, like, it's not like we're running out of being able to produce toilet paper. We just are going to be isolated. And so it's just, it's sad that people aren't leaving enough for the older people and the vulnerable who can't get there fast enough in the morning to get the toilet paper because everyone's buying it. And I said on the flip, on the flip side, we, we are seeing some beautiful things. We're seeing people set aside their differences whether it be you know socioeconomic or racial or political and really yeah. you know help and be there for the elderly and you know have special days and people shopping for for people that are do have potentially compromised immune systems and you know there's a lot of a lot of good coming out of this which i think is beautiful and it does show these times show the best of us and the worst of us so on and that level you know you see the you see the italians singing on the porch you see you know the spaniards doing you know workouts on their roofs you see you know you see some really beautiful things with this so there's you know there's an ironic calming and prioritizing of what's really most important through this as well in the midst of all the bad stuff. What do you feel like you have found your biggest priorities are in the midst of all this? Me? Yeah. Oh gosh. You know, for me, it's 
being present at this point in this age of my life, I do struggle with some of the same things as you talked about of the sense of being trapped that I would say that's very difficult for me. But I would say, too, as I get older, there is a profound sense of maturity that says the this moment is what's important and I am forced to breathe through this, to exist, to not be able to get up and leave my circumstances or be distracted or go somewhere or get in the car or, you know, go to a meeting or go have, meet someone or go to the coffee shop and get distracted. But I'm actually forced to stay in a confined space, which I'm, for me, I'm really seeking to embrace that and um, to be present with those around me, my loved ones. So to me, that's what's beautiful and profound about it, I think, is I I wouldn't say forced. uh, In a way, I am. But I think the importance of being present in the moment. And when I am tempted to turn on the news and 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 that anxiety to, to creep up, is I have a choice to turn it off. I have a choice to look at the beautiful and the good to look at the, the beautiful sky, to look at, to breathe the fresh air, to see the animals, to see other human beings who are alive and well and smiling and engaging in beautiful art. You know, Lauren, here in Nashville, as you know, you, you brought up here, mm-hmm. uh, people are going out on their front porches here in the neighborhood and they're setting up their guitars and their amplifiers. Mm-hmm. And it kind of our version of what the Italians are doing is, you know, in, in Nashville, people get out and they they start playing and singing and, and neighbors across the street can sit and watch and pull out their guitars and sing. And so there's a lot of really cool things in this downtime that are taking place of reconnection. Yeah. That's something that's important to me because I because Jake plays the piano and Lucas plays the saxophone. And I just think it's interesting how during the hardest times, people turn to music and art and, you know, Netflix is like acting and people turn to those things to find a sense of community. I think it's interesting how the whole world seems to revolve around music. Like this is the the thing people are turning to is like sitting and jamming with their neighbors, even if it's like across, you know, a porch from across the street, they, they're playing music and jamming. I, I just... I wonder what that is about our sense of humanity that we, we like look for that. I just don't know what that is or why we do that, but it seems that during the hardest times, that's what people do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really cool that there's this, there's this weird trigger and switch that takes place where this beautiful, this beautiful, this creativity just like flows from like heartache or at least at some sort of adversity. And I just think that that's a beautiful thing that, that I want to try to, to enjoy and capture and be present for and learn from what's going on with you. I mean, what's going on internally as your thought thinking through this and I mean, you're almost 21, so you know, as you in, in your generation, you're you're as we've said, you're right behind the millennial. You're kind of on that crossover generation. I know the millennials have been getting some bad press lately as far as them spring break on beaches and not taking this seriously and you know, all that. I don't I haven't seen or heard that from you or your friends. What are you seeing amongst your generation? I think also being in, in New York, it's a little bit different because it's it's such a center of the pandemic in the United States. It wasn't originally, but it's become one that people here are taking it more seriously. Um, and I've definitely seen people, you know, friends or like friends of friends I follow on Instagram that are, you know, at the beach or doing whatever. But for me personally, I'm terrified about, and I think that's a scary thing to say, is that I'm completely terrified about the unknown of what the world will look like. Um, and that can be a very overwhelming feeling if I sit and, you know, read the New York Times or read because New York Times has a, a, a live update of everything that's happening. So I'm constantly find myself um, refreshing it. So the last, you know, few days, I, I've been trying to keep myself from looking at it constantly. I've, I've like limited the amount of times I can look at it to like just at night, once I've kind of lived through, my, I'll look at it in the morning. Even some days I've been trying to not look at it, but I'll look at it, you know, 
at night to see the update of, you know, how many cases are in New York and like, so I can, you know, send my energy and condolences to the families of people that have passed away. But it's just, it's scary. And I, I go to a, a school where there's so many international students. So this has been on our radar for a while. One of my good friends who's in the show that I was supposed to be doing with me, she's from Italy. And so for the last, you know, month, we have been talking about this virus because it's been, you know, raging in Italy for much longer than the U.S. And so I, we, for like a month before we, it really was on the U.S. radar. We were like, this is going to shut down the U.S. Like New York City is going to be shut down in a month. And then in a month it was shut down. So I don't know. I'm, I'm personally just very anxious and terrified because I don't know what the world will look like. And I'm nervous for my friends that are international living in the U.S. Because especially my boyfriend, Jake, he's from Britain. And so a lot of our talk has been about visas. And like, I think that's something that people don't, obviously it's not the, the main fear right now. The main fear is making sure people stay safe and like the older generation of people that are compromised don't pass away. But there's people that are living in this unknown of, is my visa going to get passed? Am I going to be kicked out of the U S like, am I going to be able to stay here when this is all over? And like the acting industry is completely shut down. So how am I going to get a job? How is, and even now all businesses in New York city are shut down that aren't, you know, mandatory or needed like a grocery store or medical jobs. So people don't have their jobs and they're like, how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to buy groceries and live my life? And it's just a terrifying time for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. No, that those anxieties and feelings are very real. And like you said, for many, many people, the reality of potentially losing jobs, those who were, have been in, you know, maybe work at restaurants or bars or restaurants or events or arts or, or live conferences, you know, whatever it may be, who they're just gone for this year for the most part, or at least for this next, for this summer. Um, and that's a lot of young people, like a lot of young people. That's, that's yeah. I think, affecting my generation because a lot of our generation, there are people that have online jobs that work in marketing or work in whatever, but a lot of our generation works in being a bartender or a server or working at a, you know, those kinds of jobs. That's what the most of the people I know, those are the types of jobs they work. So they don't know when they'll be able to have a job again or make any money. Yes. What about your, what are you doing for self-care during this time? I'm just curious, like, you know, what, what, I is, mean, what does your day consist of? <laughs> that's something I, I think I personally struggle with this feeling a lot. And even now it's more so I don't, we were talking about this earlier. I never feel like I'm doing enough. So especially in this time, I, I couldn't, I, when I think about it, like yesterday I meditated for a little bit, but I couldn't tell you what I've been doing with my days. And it feels like I'm, and I, I know I'm young, but I feel like I'm wasting my life. And now I don't now, since I'm faced with this reality of how, the things I've taken for granted in my everyday life, I even more so feel like I'm wasting my life. Like I feel like since I have all this time on my hands, I should be writing or creating or painting or meditating and working on myself. But I feel like I have been paralyzed in this fear about what the future will hold that I haven't done anything. So I think that's something I want to work on is trying to do more with my day and creating a routine in this new reality that I'm living in. So I think these last, you know, eight days, last week has been honestly just coming to terms with what the next few months or maybe, you know, the next year will look like. What about you? What have you been doing? Well, I've, I've, you know, I've been in Florida, as you know, I'm back now, but when I was down there, the weather was beautiful. So I went out every morning and I went for a walk, jogged, uh, half of it walked, half of it Tried to go to the beach every day as much as I could. Try to get sun, vitamin D. Start the day off with breathing and meditation, contemplation as much as I can. Yeah, those are the things that I've been doing, trying to stretch, uh, do a little bit of yoga if I could, 
try to keep my mind moving uh, in, mm-hmm. in not mm-hmm. not just be passive with my mind, but be active, meaning either writing or working on some work or you know whatever it may be, just trying to be proactive rather than reactive. I just see so many people walking around the stores with their iPhone listening to news or sitting in front of the TV or and I hear things like I don't know if you hear things or catch yourself but this is horrible I'm so stressed out I can't believe it this is bad you know I see people going and they're just grabbing things at stores and I see their face and they're just so anxiety ridden you know, and just so scared that they're going to catch something and touch anybody. And those are feelings are real. But I do think, too, there's something to be learned about that is that we've got to, I know for me, it's been a lifelong journey to really, it's like put your oxygen mask on first. You know, the old saying, when you get into Mm -hmm. the, the plane, it seems counterintuitive to put yours on first and then put your child's on. But you're not going to be good to any good to your child if you pass out, right? And so I try to use that metaphor as if I can be the best to my family, to you, to my kids, to my wife, to to those I come in contact with, I'm not going to be any good if I don't take care of myself first. And so I try to do that self-care as much as I can. But like you, it's you know, it's a challenge. It's 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 not something that, you know, and especially in these times that it's hard to stay focused sometimes. Yeah, I think it's hard to, I, I find it sometimes very, very hard to take care of myself. So I think this is the time that I'm really faced with that. I don't know if on here we've really talked about any of my struggles, but I do struggle with some mental health things. And so I think because of that, sometimes it's hard for me to take care of myself. So it's it's really been an interesting exercise of having to really take control of my life and be faced with everything like the worst case scenario of what could happen for me. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. I think it's, I, I, I feel like I learned so much from you about like, I like that idea of having to put my ox- oxygen mask on first, but you have to get over that initial anxiety that the plane has run out of oxygen <laughs> <laughs> and you have to put on your oxygen mask. So it's like trying to be active. I find that the hardest part. It's you're so nervous about what's happening with everyone else that I become paralyzed and I don't yes. even think to put on my oxygen mask. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I I think what do you think about this concept of of you know, the universe, uh, God, uh, spirit, whatever you want to call it is potentially in the process or has a way of you know, in our individual lives, realigning us, putting things back in their natural order where they need to be. Is is this potentially a global aspect of this, a reminder that we do need to think and care for our elders? Maybe we mm-hmm. haven't done that as well as we should. The reminder that we need to take care of our bodies, that we need to remember that we're all one, that we're not separated. Maybe that we need to take better care of the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen videos and pictures of Venice, Italy. They said yeah. they they never remember where they could see the fish or the crystal clear waters in the, in, you know, in the canals there. But now they're crystal clear because no one's using them, and you know the traffic and the pollution is clearing up in places like China and other places. What are your thoughts on this, like? realigning and adjustment. I completely, maybe this is, some people would say this is crazy, but I completely believe that the earth is punishing us in some ways. <laughs> I think we have, I think, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I think sometimes I'm trying to sound smart and I don't think about what I'm really trying to say, but I think that we, maybe like a real, this. maybe a realignment, maybe not a realignment, a but, but yeah, it's not, it's not a punish. I think that's a harsh way to say it, but I think, uh, life, and like the universe and the environment and things like that, like the existence outside of our humanity that we think is the most important, that kind of organism also fights to survive in every mm-hmm. way. And I feel like that is exactly what's happening. It's fighting against us that have taken 
such horrible care of our earth and environment. And it's, it's nature's doing its thing where it's, it's fighting to survive. So now it's like a fight of us against, you know, the environment. I think, I hope, I hope that it's a wake up call for humanity. And once we get through this, that we have to go green with our, with things. We, we can't just start pumping the environment full of stuff. Like the, the world has been burning for months on end and like years on end. And like these horrible things are happening all because of us. And we can see that. And science shows us that, but we refuse to take a stand. I, I don't know what the statistic is on how many more years we have left before that we have to make a drastic change in order to like save the environment. And some people don't believe in that, but it's, it's true. And like, we are going to, we have to think about, you know, the great grandchildren of, you know, my generation that might not have an earth or like even the children and grandchildren of my generation where they won't have the same luxuries that we have that we've taken for granted for the environment. And I think hopefully that this time is a wake up call and that people change. But I know, I know some people might have a more nihilistic view and believe that humanity is not going to change and it will go back to, as soon as this is over, all the factories will start pumping things out again and we'll drill for oil and we'll, you know, do all these carbon. We won't, we won't go green. I think this is the perfect time for us to start to make a change in all the factories because it's not like you can use the excuse that we can't stop everything we're doing and change it. Like it's all stopped. So it's easy to just start making changes, but we'll see if we listen to that wake up call. That's a great point. That's a great point. I think there's, I think that we're going to look back on this time of fear and anxiety and of death and of pain. So many horrible things that, that have been experienced and we've yet to experience But we will also look back uh, 10, 15, 20, 30, 100 years from now and say that, you know, this experience of 2020 was extremely transformational, transformational in the sense of technology. You know, your mom's Mm -hmm. a teacher, your mom's a school teacher. Yeah, I just got off the phone with her. She's they're trying to figure out, all right, how do I how do we now integrate these kids into for the next several weeks, maybe months, into online learning and teachers doing things remotely that they've never had to do before? And, you know, the evolution of artificial intelligence and technology and, you know, new ways of thinking. There's going to be so much innovation that comes out of this. And I read an article about Elon Musk you know, meeting with the creators of respirators that there's a huge shortage of and saying, oh, I saw that. we can do 3D printing and we can set up the assembly lines at Tesla and we can make these and we can help to pump these out. You know, that kind of stuff was never available at this rate of speed and technology, you know, even 20 years ago. And so, I think I think there'll be a lot of really great things that come out of it. I think there'll be a lot of transformational, uh, societal, and spiritual things. So I'm curious for you, what what's been going on uh, internally, maybe emotionally and spiritually, maybe the past year, and what has the past month? How has this magnified it, and how is it? You know, how how are you now processing? Has everything you've been learning in your own life magnified these past few weeks? I know for me it has. It's like okay, now you get to put it into practice. Now you get to sit with it, and you can't do go anywhere, and you have to think about the existential reality of of existence of the universe and life and death and your own mortality and your family protection and all that. What, what has it meant for you? Yeah, I think I, I sit a lot. I find I've been trying to journal more and I find when I journal, I get very existential with, with my questions. And I think I spend a lot of time. I think, I think sometimes I, I think myself into an existential crisis, (laughs) but I definitely have been on a similar road with you that you talk about a little bit on that your other podcast is about rivers of grace about, you know, your, your path and trying to learn more about religion and your own deconstruction and reconstruction of your faith. And I have been on a very similar path of deconstruction of my faith 
and figuring out what I really truly believe. And I, I find myself, what am I trying to say? I, I find myself with this insecurity and when talking about religion and faith, I, I have a lot of conversations with people about what they believe. And I, I find when I go into, when they, when they turn to me and they say, so what do you believe? Or what do you think about that? I get very cagey and it's very easy for me to sit with someone while they are honest and real, but it's harder for me to sit there and be honest, real, because I don't think I have thought through my, I think I was taught certain beliefs and I've found that a lot of those created these insecurities in me that I don't like. And so I have been thinking a lot about that. So I've been trying to figure out what I really believe. And I think that's a big part of, you know, being almost 21 and I'm young and I'm, you know, nothing is real and nothing matters. And like, what actually is true? And what do I believe? Because I don't know who I am. But I think I've found a couple of things that I think I believe, but I think you can't ever, I don't think, I don't think there's anything that's solid in a human's beliefs. I think everything has to be ever changing. Mm -hmm. And once it becomes solid and you say, this is what I believe in, there's nothing that could ever make me change that thought or opinion. Then you close yourself off to growth. Yes. I agree Um, with that. And that's hard. That's very hard when you've been brought up as I have, as you have in a construct that says there is some very specifics absolutes that are absolutely quote true around this idea of God and faith and truth. And not that there's not absolutes because there are, there are absolutes. I'm not denying that, but, but they're, they're fewer than I think I was led to believe. And so I agree with you 100% Lauren is that whenever we cut ourselves off from growth then we cut ourselves off from the rest of creation, of humanity, of all those things around us that are constantly evolving and dying and being reborn and growing and renewing. And for some reason, we think that we can put a stop or a cap on and say, nope, this is the way it is. There's nothing else more true or less true. This is it. And I don't think that's healthy. And I don't, I think you're doing a disservice to the say, to the thing you believe by saying, I can't, once you can't question it, I think that's, that's, I've realized in my life, the things that upset me to question are the things I have to question the most. Mm. The things when someone asks me a question about it and I get really angry or I get really upset to even think that it's not true. That means that those are the things I have to question the most. Yes. And if you want my honest newest, it's kind of something that I, I think I've found of my idea of God. I don't know if I necessarily, uh, like to use the, because I like to use the word God, because I do believe in God, but I, because of the way I grew up, when I say the word God, I think of a white man in the sky next to some pearly gates, looking down on us, deciding who is going to heaven and who isn't. I, I think what God is to me now is more of a, is the thing between atoms, that thing mm-hmm. that there's, because, you know, I can sit here and I can touch this, the couch that I'm sitting on right now. But if, you know, if you go to a scientific micro level, I'm actually not touching the couch. They never actually touch. And the couch isn't actually solid. And there's these, it feels solid and it seems solid to our existence. But if you look There's these tiny, tiny, tiny things that are smaller than anything that we can think of, and they don't actually touch. And to Mm -hmm. me, the thing that is in between those, those, I don't know if it's atoms or whatever it is, the micro energy level, that is what God is. I think God is the existence that is that thing that we can't see, but we all know is real, that energy that we feel. You know, you call it the Holy Spirit, whatever, a higher self. I think that is what God is. I don't think God is something that judges us or doesn't judge us. The Bible was never intended to be used by its writers the way it is now, I think. 
especially the New Testament, is so many letters to people giving advice on an equal level. And it isn't um, necessarily something that is was used to control the masses as like, this is, you know, the law and the judgment and like everything in here is true. We're not even having the original writings of what they originally intended or in the original language with the original connotation. I think it is to take, to read and to take parables or lessons of humanity and I don't read the Bible in the same way I did. And I don't read this looking from a perspective that's not a man in the sky judging us looking down. If you read those stories as just an outside perspective, they give a very different connotation. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel is put there because he continues to pray to God instead of worshiping the king. And you read that and you're like, well, God will protect you over everything. But now reading that story about when he keeps going and praying and learning and growing in his belief, even though he doesn't want to just go with the mass of what this belief is. I read it as someone that's constantly questioning the belief that he's being told to believe. You know, he's just constantly questioning, not that I have to therefore worship God even harder. It's, it's a, a you learn, it's a story to teach you how to question authority and question beliefs and to keep Yes. You know, sticking true to yourself. Yes. I don't know. I'm also not a biblical scholar. And that's something that I'm constantly trying to learn more about is also not just Christianity, but other religions. And I think sure. God, if there is one true God, he's in everything. So there's pieces of him in every religion. And I don't, I think it, it's very dangerous that we as humans pretend to understand or say that we have an understanding of something that is unlike us at all. Yes, yes. The, the, the creator, the divinity, the infinite mind, the infinite energy that has brought into existence all galaxies that are trillions and trillions of miles away, that we somehow in our limited, tiny, microscopic brains compared to all that think that we know absolute truth is absolutely ludicrous. Now, yeah. having said having said that, I I do believe that we can know to some degree because we're part of it mm-hmm. that that we can understand and begin to understand, but I believe there's far less absolutes than than I did when I was much younger, and I think holding those things loosely holding on to the mystery and letting the mystery be the way versus trying to say, I have to have absolutes and I have to know what is absolutely true. And I, I, I love Jesus's teachings and I know, uh, especially in the church, it's, there's a horrible connotation of being a red letter Christian, (laughs) but I think I love the teachings of Jesus And I want to be a person more like that. But the thing about Jesus is he constantly was going against the the idea and the structure of the church and telling people to question things. And if that is what the church is supposed to guide their lives off of, to be more like Jesus, why have we created an institution to tell us what we can and can't question. I think that goes against the teachings of Jesus. So I think I'm in this place in my life where I love church and I love the community and I I love, for the most part, the people. I hate the judgment. But I think I have this anger with the institution of the church, not necessarily the people, because I think they truly believe what they believe. and And I don't have any upset or anger and judgment. They're living their lives in the way that they believe they have to. And it's a life or death situation. But I don't think Jesus ever intended for us to create an institution of pain. And I think I have a lot of problems with the church because I think it's caused a lot of pain for people. And I think that's the opposite of what Jesus teaches. He teaches us to question our beliefs and to not necessarily get, not to give the praise throughout, you know, his whole life. He's like, don't, it's, 
don't tell anyone that I did this with his miracles or don't like uh, recognize God and give it to him. But it isn't necessarily because of man and because of me, but we're giving our praise to this institution of the church instead of living our lives, trying to help each other. Does that make any sense? No, it it means it makes absolute sense. I'd love to, to explore for a few minutes, your thoughts on, this because I've talked to if you my other podcast rumors of grace I talk to people about their journeys and their faith and I think that you know when we do evolve and grow and question and 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 really come to the point in our lives where we are really are genuinely growing and expanding and realizing how big and wide and deep is this amazing love that we call God, the divine, whatever you want to call it, the space between, as you said, we find that we look back on our experiences and sometimes we can be, you know, for me, I fight against cynicism. I fight against regret. Mm-hmm. And, and yet I think there is an evolution of we, depending on what we were brought up in, what kind of construct and structure and and religion we're brought up in, I think it's a necessary part of our growth, almost like there is a spiritual kindergarten, first grade, junior, you know, elementary school, junior high that we go all the way until our death of of growing and we've got to learn how to to say everything belongs there is a purpose there is a path i wouldn't be ready for where i am today if it wasn't for what i learned previously mm-hmm. and to be willing to embrace those things and to be thankful for them do you feel like you're you, at 21 you're able to do that yet or are you still wrestling with it I think I'm getting there. I think this last year I was really, I think part of being younger, like I am a rebel. I'm fighting against the institutions all around me. I want to have a cause. And I think I'm I'm starting, I think I still have anger. And because of that, I, right now I'm trying very hard to be open and honest and not allowing my um, own insecurities and fears keep me from saying what I think. And I want every, like it to be known that everything I think I know nothing and I don't know where I will end up, you know, in 10 years, 15 years, 20, 30 years on what I believe. And I could completely disagree with what I believe with now. But with that said, I think I'm getting to the place where I'm so thankful for the way I grew up. And I think it's caught the reason I, the way I grew up makes me think a lot about the universe and religion and what else is out there? And I think it makes me someone that I think my life purpose is to spread empathy because I believe empathy and love are the ways that we create lasting change and connect mm-hmm. to other people. And I think that's the most important thing in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I hadn't grown up the way I grew up, I wouldn't think about those things. I don't think I don't, I think my life view wouldn't be to because like Christianity, you live your life, trying to love and help other people. And if I hadn't had that base, I don't think that would be my life life's purpose. And I think my life would be, I would feel much more empty. I don't think I would be like on this journey to search for what is truth. So because of that, I'm so thankful for the way I grew up, but I think it's also caused me a lot of pain and I'm still working through the things and the insecurities. I haven't, I haven't like, unprogrammed my brain to not be insecure about the I'm saying insecurities a lot not to be as programmed and it be my first thought that overrides my own human instinct or you know like it's it's still some of those things that I was taught that I had to do caused me to do it and I want to get to the place to where I'm choosing my own beliefs and not being programmed with those beliefs but I think I'm getting there, but I think it's something that takes years to yeah. figure out. Well, hopefully. What about you? Where do you feel like you are in that process? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Depending on what day and hour you ask me. I, I, I don't think that, you know, 
I think part of the embracing of the mystery, which is we don't know for sure, we have some ideas, but experiencing spiritual realities through contemplation, through love of other human beings, through pain, through suffering, through service of others, through our own internal struggles, all of those things point to something called spirituality, something bigger than ourselves, something that we can't put our finger on, something that lasts beyond this life of physicality. They all point to that. And the, the one thing that I've been contemplating a lot lately, if you think about our own sight, our own the way that we see things, scientists can't really explain because light is made up of photons. Photons are invisible. There's nothing mm-hmm. to them. But our eyes have some sort of mechanism that converts those photons into colors, into things. And so, like you said, when we see things, we're not really seeing reality. We're interpreting these photons into a consciousness that we have the capability of seeing. Yeah. And if we didn't have those eyeballs and we didn't, couldn't, we would have still have our senses. We would have touch. We would have smells. We would have the reality of, of those things around us. And so, then I kind of go to what are what other realities are out there yeah. that we haven't tapped into yet, just like sight and our eyes transform and interpret that. What other realities are out there that some people have and seen, some haven't, some in in history past claim to have. And so that's really where I'm at. Not that I want to to be a spiritual guru. But all I want to say is I want to be open to say, if God is perfect love and he is perfect in all of, and and he is the space between, and he is the creator of this universe, then I want to be open to, to learning, you know, how deep that might go and how far that might go. Exactly. I think that's, it's similar. That's how I, that's, that thing that they can't explain is why I believe in God. There's all these things that science can't explain. You can explain it to a point and then they say there's, I don't know what the number is of the probability that we are all here, that the big, there's the big bang and no one can explain why the big bang happened, just that it happened. So that in itself is like, okay, well, obviously there's something that we don't understand. And I believe that that's God. But then it's those other things we can't explain. And the probability that we're even able to see is almost impossible. It's completely improbable. And because of that, I believe in God. And the, the idea that I have to believe in a certain understanding that a a man created of what God is in order to understand and get to this perfect place if there is something beyond this, there's no way we could understand that. And if God, I believe God is love and God is all the good things in this world, then he will reveal that to himself. And I don't think we can fully, I want to fully understand what God is. And I don't think I can do that by aligning with only one idea of what, um, like the perfect way and I have to follow a specific path and give money to a specific organization in order to reach God. I just, I don't believe that's true. Do you think that that's reflective and consistent with your generation as a whole? Yeah. I think our generation is really turning against, I think technology is a big part of this because people for the first time are able to on a mass scale say, And sometimes in an anonymous way, in places that they can't ask the real questions, say, this is something I don't understand. Does anyone else feel this way? And they can see that all these other people feel that way, too. And then they can get more information and knowledge about um, anything. 
so say it's an understanding of manipulation. You can understand what manipulation is more. And then someone can be like, I feel like I'm being manipulated. I've read this about manipulation. And other people are like, I've had that experience too. And I believe these things too. And you're able to commune together and realize there's more than just what my tiny, tiny church has told me. Like God can be bigger than this. And I think it comes from our generation is able to communicate more so than any other generation has before. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a bad thing for people that thrive off of power and thrive off of having people blindly follow them because people don't have an excuse to blindly follow anymore. You don't have to blindly follow. And I think the idea of blind faith is a very dangerous one. And I don't think that God calls us for blind faith. I think he shows us in himself every single day. I don't think Jesus really ever asked for blind faith. If you believe in that, like he said, I'm here to show you and you could see it through all these things. There was never this idea of just blindly jumping into the void. And I think that is a control mechanism to say that you blindly have to follow what I say. And you see it through generations of history. I just think we are a product of the institution of where we came. And I don't necessarily think people are at fault for that or are trying. But I I think we don't question those things. And I'm on a journey to question everything, I think. Yeah, and I think that's very, very healthy and I think when you when you institutionalize anything or you put a structure around it as human beings, we have a tendency to do. I think it becomes it becomes something that somebody's going to have to have power over it, right? Somebody's going to have yeah. to be in control. And if you're going to be in control of it, then you have to financially support it. And if you financially support it. You've got to create ways for people to stay in it, a not system. leave it, not leave it. It's it becomes a system. Yeah. Yeah. And and those are all those are all things that are products of, you know, human evolution, human power. And it's not and I think the church sometimes gets a bad rap, but you know, it happens in government. It happens It happens in, everywhere. It's not it happens the, everywhere. Like, some people are worse than others, or I think that, you know, like I feel like I'm sounding very hateful against the church and that's not what I'm trying to sound like at all or sound like I'm judging sure. people that believe fully in Christianity. I'm not, I don't, I don't believe, I don't judge. And some of my best friends are like the strongest Christians you ever know. Some of my best friends don't believe in anything. Some of my best friends are Muslim. You know what I mean? I feel like the whole point of God is you don't understand it and it's beautiful and bigger than us. At the end of the day, Love conquers all and will always find a way to be the supreme thing. And I'm hoping what we're seeing in the world today, and this could be a great way to bring it full circle on this podcast around, is I'm thinking that love is going to win and that Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully as human beings, we will get that and we will love each other. We will love the creation. We will love the environment. We will love those who are sickly. We will love the elderly. We will love each other wherever you may be in the world. And ultimately, we'll be you know, realigned with that. I don't know what you think about that. No, I agree. I think we sound like you know hippies in the 70s of just being like, love conquers <laughs> all. But it's true. I think the, the way to end war and hatred and have real... Like the way we could have a peaceful world is to have empathy and love. So I personally strive for that every day. And I don't do it, but I try to do it. And I don't know. I think that's what we have to do in this day and age, especially with everything that's going on, is try to do what we can to love and empathize for other people and Maybe we will create a whole nother generation of, you know, the 2020 to 2030s hippies of Love's (laughs) Conquers All. But I'd be so for, you know, joining that group of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's what you see in the life of Jesus. I think it's what you see in the other great spiritual teachers. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what 
keeps coming back around is that if you can focus on that above and beyond all else, I mean, that is the way to mystery. That is the way to the divine. And that is, you know, the one thing that all religions have in common at their deepest mystical self, they will all say this is that God is love and that that love permeates all things. And that loving of one another, of humanity, love of self, love of creation, ultimately is what is the divine and is in that great mystery. So I love you, and I hope that I love I, I, I love that we can do this, and I hope that we can continue to to get a few more in. And who knows if we're continue to be cooped up in this isolation, we may just do a few more. I know. I am excited to do some more. I hope that this podcast, I know that in the grand scheme of everything that's happening right now, it doesn't really matter, but I hope that it gives people some food for thought and something to think about. And I think we should keep doing them. I would love for us to do another one soon and we can get some more to the normal idea of what we wanted XYZ to be, some opinions from each generation. So maybe that will be our next podcast where I'll try to get some audio clips of the people around me that's safe to get from and you can get some from the people around you if anyone would like to send in an audio of you know their experience i think that would be really interesting yeah Uh, i'm not quite sure how we can do that do you have any ideas dad yeah, I'll put in the show notes some some contact info and a way to email. Maybe we can get some people to send in some of their thoughts and what they'd like to hear, maybe what they're growing through. Maybe we can put some of those clips up in our next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure, we'd love to hear hear from you if you're enjoying XYZ, if you're I'm going to put this on Rumors of Grace as well. And we would love to hear from you. So just check in the show notes, check in the description. We'll put some contact info in there. Yeah, record uh, record your experience and another generation's experience if you can. All right. Sounds good, Lauren. We'll stay, stay warm and be healthy, and we will talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye, Dad. Bye, everyone. Thank you for Bye-bye. listening. Bye-bye.